morning, everybody. My name is Stefan, Pastor Stefan. Uh, great to be with you today. Uh, we're going to continue our Easter sermon series this morning. Uh, so please turn with me to John chapter 20. We'll read verses 19 through 31. If you're going to use the Bibles provided for you, it's on page 1,546, at least I think. Um, <clears throat> so the sermon series we're calling um, Living Easter, and we're looking at um, how different people in the Gospels, and I think we're going to venture into Acts and maybe some other parts of the Bible also, how people respond to the resurrection. What kind of effect does the resurrection have on people? What kind of effect does Easter have on people? So this morning we're looking at, last week we looked at Mary, Mary Magdalene and her confusion. And this morning we're looking at Thomas and the disciples, more specifically Thomas and his doubt when he first sees Jesus resurrected. So let's have a read. John chapter 20, beginning at verse 19. Listen to God's word. On the evening of that first day of the week, that's Easter, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now, Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, that must have been a long week, his disciples were at the house again, and Thomas was with them this time. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This is the word of the Lord. Be to God. So this text is our first really good look at post-resurrection Jesus. Post-resurrection Jesus. And what I think... I find most fascinating about post-resurrection Jesus in John chapter 20 is the fact that, um, besides the fact that he kind of appears out of nowhere at least twice, he just appears out of nowhere, he's really quite ordinary. He's the same guy. 
And he says pretty much the same things. And his body is still his body. Now, this is the body that Jesus will have for eternity. Today, Lois Hannock is with Jesus. And she, as she sees Jesus, she sees exactly this body that we're reading about in John chapter 20, with wounds and all. This is the glorified body of the resurrected Son of God. Now, what really surprises me is that this is the body. You kind of half expect for the resurrected, glorified Son of God to be so glorious that it wouldn't just be a normal body. Part of you would expect that the glorified, resurrected body of the Son of God would be so amazing that we wouldn't be able to touch it with our hands or behold it with our eyes. Part of you would half expect that Jesus' body, his resurrection, heaven-ready body would be so amazing and so holy that the room where Jesus and his disciples were meeting would just spontaneously combust out of too much holiness. But it doesn't. It's just an ordinary body. You remember the story of Uzzah? I talk about Uzzah a lot. It's occurring to me. Uzzah must have left an impact on me when I was a kid. In fact, I think we mentioned it on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. Uzzah is a guy in the Old Testament. He was one of the Israelites in uh, 2 Samuel. And uh, one of Uzzah's jobs was to take care of the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant was this very important, very special holy box, which was made out of wood and gold, and it represented the presence of God. See Indiana Jones. So the Ark of the Covenant is this very, very important, very precious box, and Uzzah's job was to take care of the important box. Well, uh, one day, the Ark of the Covenant was being moved from one place to another, and it was being moved on an ox cart, which is already against the rules. You are not supposed to move the Ark of the Covenant on an ox cart, but they did. Well, the ox cart went over a bump, and poor old Uzzah, he saw his life flash before his eyes as the Ark of the Covenant is unbalanced on this ox cart. And so he reaches out his hand and he steadies the Ark of the Covenant and he touches it. And that was the end of Uzzah. No more Uzzah. You can't touch the Ark of the Covenant and live. It's too holy. It's too glorious. Ordinary humanity, ordinary Uzzah, is not compatible with the holiness of the Ark of the Covenant. It was the holiness of the Ark of the Covenant versus the ordinariness of Uzzah, and Uzzah lost, and he lost hard. Why? That box, which merely represented the presence of God, was too holy. It was too much. It was too glorious. And Uzzah's ordinariness was not compatible with the holiness of the box. Now, compare that story, the story of Uzzah, with the story that we read here this morning. Here we have Jesus in his perfect, glorified, eternal, post-resurrection body. 
you would expect him to be dangerously radiating glory all over the place. But his interaction with these disciples seems so pedestrian. It seems so ordinary. It seems almost earthly. Nothing exploded. No one dropped dead. It was just a meeting between friends. Jesus showed his battle scars. They talked a little bit about the nature of life and faith, and then he disappeared, and that was it. Let me tell you why I think this is so important. I think this text is important because it shows us that at last, at last, heaven and earth are compatible. Heaven and earth are compatible. You know what I mean? The fact that the resurrected, glorified Son of God can share space and share time and share language and share food with ordinary, non-glorified, non-resurrected people shows us that heaven and earth are compatible. Heaven and earth can coexist. Here's what happened at Easter. This is, here's one way to put it. What happened at Easter? Jesus broke sin. He broke it. Jesus broke brokenness like a stick over his knee. He broke it. He destroyed our brokenness. The thing that makes us broken is now itself broken. And so things that come from heaven and things that come from earth are no longer incompatible. They fit. For Uzzah, the holiness was too holy. The heat was too hot. The immortal could not touch the mortal. The perfect could not touch the imperfect. But now, after Easter, just look at Thomas. Talk about a bold move. Right? He has his finger inside the body of the resurrected Son of God, the second person of the Trinity who has existed before all things and in whom all things hold together. And he's just kind of noodling around in there. Boundaries, Thomas! It's absurd. Not only is this a comical invasion of personal space, but compared to the story of Uzzah, it's hard to reconcile the two, right? In fact, you could even make an argument that, that Thomas in this situation is being way more casual than Uzzah ever was, right? Thomas is, 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 is even cynical in this moment, and he's critical, and he's doubting, and he's like, oh, you're, he's going to have to walk in here, and God's going to have to, God's going to have to, God's going to have to, I'm not going to believe. He's got an attitude about him. Right? And yet there he is, noodling around in Jesus' side with his finger. I like to imagine poor old Uzzah watching this from heaven, being like, What? You gotta be kidding me, man. How is this not a problem? I got zapped for touching a special box. And here's Thomas sticking his fingers into the wounds of the resurrected Son of God, and it's like, no, go ahead. It's absurd. Here's the difference. 
between Uzzah and Thomas, theologically at least. Here's the difference. See, Uzzah, Uzzah needed someone to stand between the ark and him. Uzzah needed somebody holy enough to be able to touch the ark and human enough to be able to touch him. And Uzzah did not have that. But we do. In Jesus, not only do we have someone who is human enough to address the brokenness in us, but he is holy enough to address the beauty and the glory of heaven. Because of Easter, heaven and earth can coexist over Jesus. Over Jesus, heaven and earth can coexist. And we see this happening in this text in at least two ways. Heaven is compatible with earth in that Jesus comes and he shares time and he shares space and he's hanging out here on earth and it's working out and it's fine and things are okay. And then also, secondly, earth is compatible with heaven, which to me is even more mind-boggling. One of my favorite things about post-Easter stories about Jesus is just how hungry he is. You read a story about Jesus after Easter, the guy is famished because saving the world is a ton of work and it really takes it out of you. And so whenever Jesus, he's like, hey, you got anything to eat? And the disciples are like, yeah, here's some fish. And he hands it to him. He's like, oh, this is delicious. And we're like, what? The food of earth is compatible with the resurrected, glorified body of the second person of the Trinity into eternity. I mean, that's a pretty good review for earth's food, right? Put that in on Yelp. Jesus liked it. It's good enough for him. I don't know what your problem is. So here's the point. The trees of earth that bear the fruit of earth, that fruit is compatible with heaven. The grain, the earth, the grain of earth that is broken down and mixed and made into bread and so all of it is compatible with heaven. The fruit of earth is compatible with heaven. The life that we live today is compatible with heaven. The people that we are today is compatible with heaven. We're not as far from heaven as we think. Lois Hannock isn't sitting in the pews with us today, but she's not as far away as we might think. Let's push pause here for a second. You know what else I find to be really, really remarkable about this text? Um, This is a text about how heaven and earth are compatible. Yes, also, this is a text about doubt. It's a text about doubt. It's a text about brokenness. It's a text about I won't believe. I don't believe and I won't believe unless God comes to me on my terms Hissy fit, hissy fit. And it's remarkable to me. 
Heaven is invading earth before everyone's eyes, and yet there is so much doubt in this text. There's so much doubt. In fact, if you read the rest of the story of this post-resurrection Jesus, there's doubt all over the place, maybe even more than there ever was before. People just aren't always believing. They're just not buying it. At the end of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus is about, he, for 40 days, Jesus does this thing, in and out with the disciples, in and out, for 40 days. And now Jesus is going to ascend to heaven. And Matthew says, people worshiped Jesus as he was about to, to leave and everyone is really excited and a bunch of people just still didn't believe. I'm like, what? And I read that about people not believing as they're standing there directly in front of the resurrected Jesus and not believing, and it makes me feel a whole lot better about my not believing 2,000 years later. There's a lot of doubt in the air. Poor Thomas. Everybody else has seen Jesus, and he has major FOMO about this. Poor Thomas. He's the one guy who needed to see him. Everybody else probably could have believed just from hearing it. Not Thomas. He had to see Jesus, which is probably why it didn't work out perfectly for him to see Jesus. But he's this very analytical person. He's this very skeptical person. And he's not going to believe until he sees it just because that's who he is. And in the case of Jesus, he's not going to believe until he puts his hand into the side of Jesus. I wonder why Thomas had to touch Jesus' wounds in this situation in order to believe. Why his wounds? Why wasn't it enough just to be in the room with him? Why wasn't it enough to just behold his face or to grab him by the cheeks or whatever he wanted? Why is it that Thomas had to touch Jesus' wounds? I've mentioned this before, uh, this book by Nicholas Waltersdorf, he wrote, which is called Lament for a Son. Um, and uh, it's about his own lament for his own son who died tragically in an accident. And Waltersdorf talks about the reality of being a, 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 somebody who's really mourning something, really lamenting something. And he says, if you want to know who I am, you need to know my wounds. If you want to know me, you need to know my wounds. Uh, William Williman is another pastor, and he wrote a book about the first congregation that he served as a very young pastor. And one of the first things that he did was uh, he met with, wanted to go around and meet in this very small church all of the people, all of the members of his church. And so he went around, went alphabetically through the whole thing, the A's and the B's and the C's, and he got to about the J's, and he was like, what is wrong with these people? Every time I sit down with one of them, they start to tell me the most horrible things about themselves. They're, they're, are they dark? Are they depressing? Every time I sit down, they want to talk about accidents and tragedies and divorces and sicknesses and their children that died. I sit down with these people, they just tell me the worst things about themselves. And at first he thought maybe there was something broken about them, something wrong with them, but then it occurred to him, these people knew. If you want to know who I am, you need to know my wounds. 
And it seems to me that this is what's happening in this scene as well. Between Jesus and Thomas, each of them is bearing their wounds to the other. Jesus is showing his wounds, his physical wounds, and Thomas also is showing his wounds, his maybe psychological wounds or his belief wounds. Thomas is given access to Jesus' vulnerability, which is his wounds, and Jesus is given access to Thomas' vulnerability, which is his doubt. Frederick Dale Bruner says, each one of them is touching the other where it hurts. Each one of them is touching the other where it hurts. And here's the thing. You take this snapshot of Thomas not believing, being pretty cynical, even demanding of God, his little hissy fit. And you might think, well, here's someone who's incapable. Here's someone who is behind the eight ball. Here's somebody who's going to be unable to serve, unable to move the needle for the kingdom. But if you read the stories in church history, that is absolutely not true because Thomas went out and he crushed it for the kingdom of God. Like, crushed it for the kingdom of God. He did amazing things for the, rest of the, for the rest of his life. There's also evidence that he continued to doubt. In fact, if I know anything about human beings, I can guarantee you that Thomas spent the rest of his life continuing to doubt, or at least wrestling with the doubt. And that is okay. Do you know why? Because heaven is compatible with earth. Because Jesus' wounds are compatible with Thomas' wounds. Because Jesus' glory is compatible with Thomas' doubt. Heaven is compatible with Thomas' doubt. Heaven is also compatible with Mary Magdalene's confusion from last week. Heaven is also compatible with Peter's denial. Heaven is also compatible with you fill in the blank. Gone are the days of Uzzah. Gone are the days of Uzzah. Heaven is compatible with earth. Consider for a moment heaven's compatibility with you. Your imperfections. Your quirks your idiosyncrasies, your eccentricities, but also your passions and your joys and your giftedness and your excitements and your story. Consider heaven's compatibility with your story. Thomas went out and crushed it for the kingdom of God with everything that he was, all of his eccentricities, all of his idiosyncrasies, and all of his outright <laughs> sinfulness. It can be exactly the same for us. Jesus and Thomas embraced one another over their particular wounds. 
I wonder how you and Jesus might do exactly the same. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, we can be very um, self-protective. We can be very defensive people. It's hard for us to let down our guards. It's hard for us to be honest and vulnerable, to show our true colors. We thank you, Lord, that uh, you have first moved toward us, that you have first showed us your vulnerabilities, that you have first showed us your wounds. Our prayer today, Jesus, is that your um, vulnerability would give us the courage to do the same. That wherever we are today in our relationship with you, that we would move one step closer. That whatever we think or believe or love about you, we would move one step closer. God, give us the courage of Thomas, who in spite of his doubt, stepped forward in belief. And no matter who we are in our eccentricities, in our idiosyncrasies, that we would be able to move toward you. We thank you, Jesus, for making heaven compatible with exactly who we are. We thank you for being the one to stand between the perfection of heaven and the brokenness of earth, and that over you we find compatibility. We love you, Jesus. Please be with us now as we celebrate this compatibility at your table. Amen.